A few weeks ago, I had a chance to chat with an old pal of mine, Jeff Perlman, about, among other things, his career as a best-selling author, growing up in Mayapak, and his book, Showtime, Magic, Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers Dynasty of the 1980s, being turned into an HBO series. I hope you all enjoy this interview as much as I did doing it. Always nice to reach out to an old friend and ask them, hey pal, what's new? Mr. Jeff Perlman. How's it going? Good. How are you, sir? I'm well. I I do have to apologize because my co-host is like forever out, um, running very, very late. So I told him I would talk to you. And, uh, you know, if he gets here, he gets here. If not, um, he's just running late and I don't want to keep you because I know you, you are a very busy man, sir. (laughs) Yeah. Um, no, that's cool. Doesn't matter to me. So listen, I, I'm floored because when when I think about it, I think about you know knowing you since like elementary school, um, knowing your love of sports and everything sports, having the vast encyclopedia of knowledge of sports, um, you know, and watching your career as a writer just take off and go crazy. Um, and you've got some even crazier stuff going on right now, correct? I mean, I guess, uh, I mean, my book is being made into an HBO series, which is one of the crazier things I've had happen in my life. So I guess that, that probably qualifies. That's probably what you're referring to. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't, I, I don't want to like push too much cause I, you know, you are and aren't allowed to say certain things and I get that, but you know, it's, it's a widely known fact that your book was being turned into a series which mm-hmm. that's got to be surreal for you. Oh, very much so. I mean, it's, uh, I'd say the surreal moment came when I, um, I went to the set the first time and you see, um, you see these things you wrote being turned into, you know, like actually I'm walking in front of you and talking in front of you. So these scenes that you wrote about actually taking place on the studio set in Hollywood and you're walking through it. It's very, 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 very surreal and right. uh, really cool. Like really well, cool. And it's got to be surreal from the respect, not just of stuff you've written, but watching, you know, games you watched on TV or watched replays of or studied all of a sudden being scenes being reenacted right in front of you. Yeah, it's all crazy. I mean, it's like um, it's not one of those things you expect to happen in your life. And then all of a sudden you're there and you're. I mean, it sounds corny, but you're on a set talking to Sally Field. And sometimes you say, I always say to my parents, I'm like, it doesn't seem like that long ago. I was sitting in my, I used to sit in their bedroom and I would read them the stories I was writing for the chieftain in the high school newspaper. Wow. And I would just sit there, read it to them and have them listen. I'm sure they're bored out of their minds. And you kind of blink. Like people think life is this, it's almost like when you experience life, you see that it, it goes really quickly and it's almost sometimes you feel like you're living in a movie where you're at this one place and suddenly you're at this different place and you're not quite sure how it happened. And that's sort of how this all feels like it doesn't feel that long ago 
that I was turning in stories for the mail pack high school chieftain. Jesus. And then you blink and and this kind of thing happens. This is really it's yeah, it's real. It's, well, it's weird. I, I'm sure all the way back in high school you always knew you were gonna be a writer. Well, I didn't I didn't really know what that meant though. I mean I I knew I, I really liked writing and I liked writing for the high school paper and right. I liked people paying attention. I mean for stupid reasons though. I liked you write something and people pay attention to you. And otherwise, you're just a fairly anonymous human being, and all of a sudden, the, you know, the the power of the pen. So you write something about cheerleaders, and they get mad at you, or they're yelling at you, or you do a report card for the high school basketball team, and Larry Glover, the center, is mad at you, and he's yelling at you. In a way, you you would think that people yelling at you would be a negative, but it, it got you attention when you were little. And I think that was when I was in high school. That was kind of the draw of it all. Sure. I just didn't know where it would take me. And and then you probably found that some people, you know, were like wanted you to write about them. Yeah. Well, the main thing, the thing is like, um, my dad always used to say back in Mailback, he would say the number one thing that people like to talk about is is themselves, and it's true, a hundred percent true. And and if you have a real curiosity about other people, um, journalism is the best. Like right. if you like hearing stories about other people and you like talking to people, which I actually do. Uh, it's an amazing job. It's probably the most fulfilling job for people who are just genuinely interested in stories that other people tell. Right. Well, I mean, and did you ever even aspire that like someday one something you have written would be turned into, you know, a TV show, a movie, a special? I mean, I know you wrote for like Sports Illustrated and other sports outlets that were very popular. I'm sure some of what you written were used in news media. And you've been on TV, you know, yeah. talking about the stuff you've written. But did you ever, like, imagine? I, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, like, did you hope that at some point something you've written would be taken and turned into something else, like a movie? So it never existed in my head until, okay. um, like, it wasn't like I came up. Like, my goal growing up, especially starting in, in high school, but definitely in college, was to one day write for Sports Illustrated. And that... I always viewed as the goal in my life to write for Sports Illustrated. Right. And it was never about books. It certainly was never about having a book adapted into a, into a TV show because I didn't even, I didn't even, it, w it wouldn't have even been something that entered my head. And um, when I was, uh, I think in 2003, my first book came out. It was about the New York Mets. And not that long after that book came out, someone optioned it. So someone oh. paid me money for it to be made into something. And I was under, I was like, wow, this is amazing. They're going to make a TV show out of my book. And I didn't realize that a gazillion books are optioned every year and it almost never happens. Right. So even that experience of having a book option in a way it turned me more off to it than on because it was all just a lot of BS. It was a lot of people, Oh, we're going to get Denzel and Tom Hanks and so-and-so and so-and-so, and it's going to be great. And then um, it never happens. And you're like, Oh, all these people are full of crap. So having it actually happen, um, it just never seemed realistic to me. Right. So with this, did you sit there and they uh, they told you they were optioning it, and you were just like, okay, I'll believe when I say it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had so I had two writers who were really interested in it, and um, well, I was living in New Rochelle, New York at the time, and um, this guy Jim Hecht, whose main credit was Ice Age Two, he's like, I just think this can be something. I can be. Something. And I said, do you want to come over? He's like, can we meet? And we used to have Sunday family dinners at my house. And I said, well. What? You want to just come over for family dinner. So he comes over for family dinner. He's a really nice guy. And he's talking about the possibilities and how great this can be. And, and I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. All right, fine. 
nobody it was the book is called showtime i haven't gotten any real interest in it in this regard so i signed for almost no money i let him opposite it and then uh years passed and i'm living in california now and one day he's like uh adam mckay wants us to come to his house and i have no idea who adam mckay i don't know who adam mckay is but okay and i get to the house early and i start googling adam mckay i'm like holy crap adam mckay this is will farrell's partner he did anchorman he did vice he did the big short, you know, all these freaking movies and TV shows. And um, I met with him and he was just a really cool guy, really interested. I still didn't think anything would really happen. And then I don't know how much long after that, HBO sends a contract and they want to option it and they're genuinely interested. And the fact that I had Adam McKay attached to it sort of got me thinking this actually could happen. And uh, here we sit. Wow. Yep. That That's just... Now... I don't, again, if you can't divulge something, just say it, but how much of the writing process going from your book to the actual scripts, were you involved in at all? Oh, very little. Okay. It's not, um, and, and I didn't really want to. Like I am, um, you know, they hire a writing team. They've been really gracious and cool about involving me as far as, uh, we all got cameos in the first episode, me, my wife, my kids. Um, we, they will call me and ask, they've asked a lot of questions. Like, is this realistic? Is this right? Um, I felt like it was a really good sign for the show when someone called me early on from the uh, costume department and asked if I knew what material Magic Johnson's uniform would have been in the 1979 Summer League. Like, wow, they're really interested in the detail. So it's not, I, I, I never wanted, I don't, I don't think most uh, production companies or productions in general want the book writer to be overlording over everything. And I actually think that's fair. Like it, right. You know, it's not my specialty. This is not what I do. I write books. I don't write screenplays. So, um, well, they're they're really going cool, to take. I'm not gonna, there day to day. Yeah, they're going to take some liberties with it, and they don't want you coming and going. Well, well, that's not exactly how it was. But I don't even think that. I I mean, they, they will and they should. I mean, it's, it's TV. But I think it's more like, I just think, um, it's like all right, the 1980s Lakers played, and I was a kid when they played, right. and then I write a book. And, but I don't show it to Magic Johnson, Kareem, and James Worthy and say, can you guys read over this book and make sure it's good? Like, it's just not how it works. This is my book. It, it's interpretive of their their basketball life. I write this book. And then these people pick up the book and they turn it into a TV series. Well, it's not. It's based on the book. It's not the book. Right. So it's just a different, you know, it's a, a different world. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, we've all seen like books that we've read turned into movies. So you, I mean, off the top, you know exactly sure. what's going to kind of happen. Um, but but now, the show is great. I've seen, I've seen most of the episode from the first season, which it starts in March and the show is great. Oh and uh, wait until March. Yeah. Sorry. But it's really good. It's really good. It's really, really good. Damn it. Damn it. Sorry, man. No, that's okay. Now, now are you working on anything else right now? Well, I have a book coming out next year about uh, Bo Jackson, the former athlete, two sport athlete. So that's kind of where my focus is. Oh, Bo knows Jack. Yeah. Bo, Bo knows. knows. Bo doesn't. Does everybody say that when you tell them you're writing a book about about him? It comes up. It comes up quite a bit. <laughs> well, I mean, he he was a do everything kind of guy, wasn't he? He played for the Raiders. Played for the Royals. I mean, there wasn't a sport that guy didn't play. Well, he didn't play basketball, but he uh, even became a pretty good golfer. You know, but the Bo Knows ad campaign was became sort of this ubiquitous thing in American uh, merchandising, I guess. Right. 
my wife is sitting here with me and she's nodding because she came down today to sit while we record and she's like nodding her head. She's very funny. She's like, I don't want to get on. I don't know anything about sports. I was like, you think I know, but she about knows Bo Jackson, but she knows Bo Jackson. Everybody does. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know much about sports. There's one sport I follow. I've hit you with this too. Is like the one sport I kind of follow is UFC. And I'm like, so when are you writing a book about that? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. It is. Um, someone recently said to me, I should do a book about the early, early days of UFC. Right. And the sort of craziness and the wild, wild west of it all. And, uh, when it was banned I don't know in all the UFC, states. But like, like uh, Kimbo Slice. I remember when Kimbo, I know he wasn't UFC, but when Kim, Kimbo Slice came along and like different guys were, were coming along and it was just like, we, where can we get the beer knuckle brawlers and the, the bare knuckle brawler guys? And, and it's become such an art form. Not art form might be too strong, but the origins in the early days and kind of the, the rustiness of it all is well, kind of appealing. So maybe that's a book. Well, yeah, the early days of UFC were more of like style versus style. It answered that that age old question of like, well, who would win in a fight? A karate right. guy or a jujitsu guy or a boxer right. or a street brawler? And uh, right. well, that's how Kimbo got his start. He was a street brawler. He fought in the streets. He, you know, backyard, back alley fights. Um, and even there's a couple of guys now that are in the UFC that have held belts that that was their start. But as you said, it's become more of an art and it's more about of, you know, no one style. You have to, you know, it's like if you compare it to other sports as being able to play multiple positions, you have to have a nice, be a well-rounded fighter to really be successful at all at this point in, in any of the mixed martial arts, whether it's yeah. UFC or Bellator or even 1FC or any of those, it's, it's really evolved as most sports do. Oh, yeah. It is interesting. In my career, um, I've covered a fair amount of boxing. And um, it's, you know, I have mixed feelings about sports like this. And, and I, I feel like in a weird way, UFC is probably safer than boxing. Because right. the matches are so much shorter and you're not taking the brain blowers that you take in, the head blowers that you take in boxing. Um, but they're the best sports to cover uh, from a journalistic standpoint. They're just really raw. They're right in front of you. Usually the combatants are more than happy to talk. They always have interesting backstories. You know, like um, I covered baseball a lot when I was at Sports Illustrated, and the backstories were usually some kid from Southern California who started swinging off a tee when he was six years old, and he went. He all he did year round was play baseball, 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 and he loves baseball. And man, I love baseball. But when you deal with boxers and fighters, I mean, a lot of those guys are guys who came up like pit bulls, and right. they have really interesting backstories. So they are fun to cover. Huh. I mean, I never really thought of it that way. I've never been a boxing fan. It was, it was, you know, I think for me it was that not even the blood and gore because I was in on UFC early on, way, way back, you know, had the videotapes, you had to get them from someone or you bought like, you know, rented the compilation of fights from the video store. But even at that point, it had started to become a little bit more organized after, you know, the Fertitas took it over and bought it out and change the octagon from a ring to an octagon and instead of like you know what we see today it was a lot more gritty you know it was you don't stop unless someone taps or is completely knocked out and i don't even think back then there were rounds it was just keep fighting (laughs) well you know this isn't really ufc related but um i will say when i was a kid like the thing that drew me into sports like really drew me into sports growing up in the town we grew up in which was a you know very small town was um, I really liked, and I'm not just saying this in hindsight, it really did it for me. Like, I really liked the diversity of characters 
and I liked like I like seeing Dominican ball players with cool names. I like seeing African American ball players with like lamp chop sideburns and cool afros. I I love sort of all the different mergings of people coming together in this one world of sports, or, you know, right? Baseball, football, hoops, and I feel like that's the one thing. I'm like you watch the UFC and it's just, it's this carnival of people, just like boxing was this carnival of people, and it's really appealing. Like that really appeals to me. So if I end up doing a UFC book. I do think it would be about the early days when you just had all these freaking people from all walks of life coming into this one world and really establishing what would go down as, I mean, in many ways, UFC is the fourth major sport in America right. ahead of hockey at this point. So I don't Yeah, know. and I mean, when anybody talks about mixed martial arts, they immediately go to UFC, even though there's multiple leagues out there, just like most right. other sports, but that's like, it's the, the NFL of mixed martial arts. Exactly. Um, And they draw the top talent and you see some of that talent like with other sports as their day comes and goes, you know, they move on to like the lower leagues like Bellator and the other fight places. And then next thing you know, they're getting knocked out by Jake Paul. Oh yeah, no, that was a little grim. Was that way? So I saw the I saw the knockout. It was actually a pretty impressive knockout, but does that, um, that's, do you find that depressing? Oh, it's so sad. That's Tyron Woodley, who was like the UFC champ. And he lost the first time in a decision, and then last night it was just like, yeah, he's out cold. And he faced first right into the oh canvas. It was it was tough to watch, I will say. I mean, I'm not a huge Tyron Woodley fan, but to watch someone, you know, like him who's a career fighter get knocked out by Jake Paul, who's not a career fighter, it just I, – I think people walk in there with Jake Paul and underestimate, like, hey, he's a nobody. You know, he got lucky last time. He kept, you know – kept up with me and they let their guard down. Yeah. And I does think does that do damage to UFC or to the not the sport as a whole? Does it do No. Do you have a guy who was a former champion but he's kinda of over the hill and he gets his, you know, ass kicked by a reality T V star? No, it doesn't hurt it at all. I don't think it hurts the UFC because I don't even think Tyron's in active anymore in the UFC. I mean, Connor fought Mayweather and Mayweather just fucking played with him for you know, yeah. the, the better part of the entire fight, he just played with him. You know yeah. Floyd wasn't really fighting there. He was just like, I'll keep my distance and let him play around and put on a show. Make him right. feel like he's winning. I don't I don't right. think, I, and I'm a huge Conor McGregor fan, as much of a, my wife's making the gag uh, yeah. face. But like, I'm with her on that. I'm yeah, as that. much of as a jackass as he is and as much of an idiot, like I enjoy it because I think – his showmanship brought a lot of people a lot of attention onto the sport. Yeah, that's fair. You know, and being um, Ir- being Irish, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, like, sports need um, <clears throat> for sports to succeed. You need to have villains, right? You actually do. You need to have villains, especially in combat sports. You have to have people. Mike Tyson was a great villain in boxing in and, the '80s. And, and in the real world, he's the nicest guy I hear. Actually, he is a really nice guy. It's kind of funny, but um, you do. He really is. I swear, he's actually a really nice guy. But it, um, and maybe maybe McGregor is. I have no idea. But you need villains and you need yeah. people willing to play the heel. So, uh, and he very he's done much well was. Sport. Yeah, totally, totally. You know, and one thing I do like about UFC is it seems like ninety nine percent of the time, in a sport like that, when they're done, when the fight's over and the winner's hand is raised, the two of them like look at each other, they hug, and they're like, "Good fight, great job." Let's do it again. Let's, you know, and, you know, they, for lack of a better way of saying it, they kiss and make up at the end. Cause they know. Even last night. Yeah. Even last night, the Jake Paul fight. I thought Jake Paul, when he came over to congratulate him, 
Jake Paul was shockingly reverential. And I thought that was, uh, I wish they showed that stuff more. Every sport, I, I'm not just saying this, I'm a huge fan of the handshakes at the end of football games, yep. basketball games, all that stuff. And I hate how they cut away. Oh, I actually I think that. it's really valuable to see. I love watching yeah. the teams at the end, like come up to each other, congratulate each other, give hugs, yep. you know, because 100%. you, you wind up with cases like you have now with um, Tom Brady moving to another team, but he plays against his old team and they hug and they're like, Hey, look, you know, this is a game we got to play and we're both going to try to, you know, beat each other. And when the game is over, we'll hug and say good game and go about our lives. Yeah. I think there's some value in seeing that, especially for yep. young people. Well, and, and I think there's value in that too for, especially kids in sports today to see that and go, you know what, at the end of the game, we just had our high school football game. We got our butts handed to us by the other team. We don't need to be rude. They were the better team today. We can acknowledge that and, you know, wish them well and say, thanks for a good game. I agree hundred percent. And I, I think if, if they showed more of that, like you said, in the sports, I think kids in high school sports would, you know, emulate that a lot more and not, keep the rivalries going, keep the fights after the game going, you know, it's, it's, it's what we need. <laughs> so also there's no, there's kind of a, a satisfaction. I ran a really bad year of college track across country and uh, <clears throat> I got my ass kicked all the time. And there's, um, there's a real satisfaction in sort of acknowledging to the person who kicked your ass that he kicked your ass. Like it actually makes you feel good about yourself man, you kicked my ass. Yeah, that's okay. It's all good. You know, good luck next time. Right. I like those moments. I got but, no problem with those moments. I don't know why people are so afraid of those moments. I, okay. I honestly think those are the moments that when you finish, like, you know, I don't know, if a football game, if you're sitting there cursing the other team going, like, screw them, they got lucky and all this stuff, and don't acknowledge that they were the better team, then you you don't set yourself up for growth. Acknowledging they were a better team, you're like, you know what? If I want to beat them next time, I got to work harder. I got to train harder. I got to do better. Yeah, you also look like an idiot. You yeah. just look like an idiot. Sore yeah, loser. I'm with you. <laughs> so, um, but I don't want to hold you up too long. I do appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us here. Um, anything else you want to tell us about that you got coming down or that you want to let us know about? I actually don't have anything interesting, but I do want to say I still hold it against you that you, uh, you beat me up in the fifth grade. Oh, come it's, it's fifth grade. It was very hurtful. And then you stole my lunch money and oh. my girlfriend. That was very hurtful. Well, you know you know what? Your mom yep. thanked me for that because she always wanted you to marry a nice <laughs> Jewish girl. Oh, my God. So. Well played. Well played. <laughs> so, well, I appreciate yeah. it. And, uh, you know, All maybe right. if we do have like a 50-year-old high, year high school reunion, I'll go to that. You know what's funny? I will tell you one thing. I um. I organized a 20-year high school reunion, right. and I used to be super nostalgic. I was always a nostalgic human being about high school. And, well, you didn't go to the 20th? I did. 20th? I That's did. I, what, it was, no, it was the 20th. That you went 20th. with me. Oh, all right, the 20th. Yeah. yeah, my wife went with me the 20th. I was like, you've She's met Jeff. And she goes, I have. And I go, yeah, at the reunion. Right, yeah. I was like, the really tall <laughs> guy? She goes, that doesn't help. The really handsome guy. The really handsome uh, guy, yeah. Wait, so... I organized a 20th reunion. I don't know why, but we had this huge turnout and I had fun. I had a really good time. Really did. Truly had a good time. Very nice. And Big success. It was good. And, it, <laughs> and as soon as it ended, I was like, okay, I got that out of my system. Like my, my nostalgia is over and I am good. And I feel like, and I'm not saying I'm not without blame. I feel like social media through the years, in particular, Facebook, 
yeah has made it that I don't really need to hang out with that many people anymore. You are I know that sucks, but it's true. You are absolutely right. Like, you know, look, it should be a testament to how well you planned that that I actually wound up going. <laughs> Cuz nice. I'm I glad have, you did. There's very few people that we went to high school with that I have any love for. Um yeah. and any of the people that I have any love for, I talk to on a regular basis. Um yeah. you know, tonight we're doing a a holiday show all of us and Rick Yankee's supposed to be here, but he's sick. So we're going to have him call in. But I mean, Greg and I to this day still hang out all the time. He's my son's godfather. Like the people I want to talk to from high school, I talk to them and you're right. Facebook and social media has kind of like done away with that. There used to be that whole, like, I want to go see what that person looks like and what they're up to. And the kid who, I don't need to, the kid who stuffed you in a locker. You're like, I want to see the fact that like, you know, he's on his third wife and been out of jail twice. And, just Wait, I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> oh, funny story. story from the, true story from the reunion. I'm at the reunion, and um, my closest friend in high school is John Powell. Right. I, you remember Powell. Yeah, yeah John, okay. he went He went uh, Navy, uh, the Naval Academy. Right, correct. So Powell and I were talking, and he um, he's standing by the bathroom. No, he's standing by the bathroom. He goes, he goes, Pearl, just stand here, stand here. Don't move, stand here, stand here. And um, we had a classmate. And I'm sure I got no beef with him now, but his name was Butch Smith. Oh, and he was gosh. kind of a tough, he was kind of a tough kid back in the day. And um, Powell's like, stand here, stand here. And Butch Smith walks out of the bathroom and we're both like a foot taller than him. And that was like Powell's great moment. He was so happy that we were both that a foot taller than awesome. Smith. Well, look, if you ever <laughs> want to see Butch, from what I understand, just catch him at Red Mills. Oh, see, that's sad. Well, I don't. It, the thing is, I don't root against any people from high school. You know, life can be tough. You know, I don't either. But um, you know, I, we all had our run-ins with the the school bully, aka Butch Smith. Um, and yeah. I've multiple times told the story of I'm standing in the hallway by the band room, and well, he's standing there. I come through the door, and the door opens. He's like, "You just hit me with the fucking door," and I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And I just kept walking. And next thing you know, from behind, he jumps on me and just starts pounding the shit out of me. At which point, you know, everybody jumps in. They drag me into the music room. Um, my face is covered in blood. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I'll tell you, the next day, and I've told this story on the show before, walking through the halls in the middle of the day, you just hear my brother going, where the fuck is Butch Smith? Get your oh, fucking man. ass out. He, Ed came down from college to kick the shit out of him. At which point, <laughs> at which point, because, you know, say, I always say this, say what you want. You know, my brother fucked with me a lot, but that's his right as my brother. And he'd be goddamn if anybody else was going to fuck with his brother because that's his that's job. Awesome. And you I'm know, a huge Ed Fatakis fan. <laughs> huge Ed Fatakis. You know who's a huge Ed Fatakis fan? Ed Fatakis. Ed Fatakis. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but I do want to say, I will say this. Like, one thing I've definitely learned through my years in, in, in this profession is like, Okay, like I wrote a book about a baseball player, Barry Bonds, and Barry Bonds was a would just treated people awfully. Right. And what you start wondering as you do this more and more is what led someone to be that big of an asshole? And I always think like Butch Smith, right? Butch Smith had something going on in his life. Yep. Maybe it was his parents, maybe it was who knows. But something in his life as a seventeen year old kid turned him into that kid who felt like it was his right to beat the crap out of you. Out of anything. And I think what's interesting Sure. Right. And it doesn't excuse him from doing it. It certainly doesn't. Right. But it does make you wonder, like, how do people become that way? You know, like, I just, how do people become that way? And, and how does some, that happen? And I, some people get over it and some people don't. 
Some Correct. people move past I hold it. no grudges from high school. I literally have no grudges from high school. I don't care. I'd like to say I don't, <laughs> but there's certain. I'm people... sorry, John. I'm sorry I beat you up. No, you know. I'm sorry. There, there, I will tell you, there's some people, if I saw them, I'd be like, dude, I don't want nothing to do with you. I wouldn't start shit with them, but I would want nothing to do with them. Just be like, no. don't contact me. I have nothing to say to you. Like, I don't have a like Adam it. Sandler. I mean, a, a Steve Buscemi. Uh, what fucking movie was that? Billy Madison hit list of people. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, there's people that's like, I want nothing to do with them. I don't even know where they are, what they're doing, or nor do I care. The only reason I knew about, you know, Butchie is because I had one of his nephews in class, and he asked me if I knew him, and I was like, oh, boy, do I. How oh, funny. Wait, I'll tell you, I had, um, I actually had revenge. The best revenge I've ever had is when I was in high school, there was a kid named John Deagle. You remember John I Deagle? I know Johnny Deagle. His oh. wife works with me. Okay, and I actually am friendly with John Deagle now, believe it or not. But oh. in high school... John Deagle, I was not a fan of, and he made my life miserable. And my first book is about the 1986 New York Mets, mm-hmm. and my opening chapter is about being a 14-year-old kid in 1986. And I write about this, and I write about that, and I write about this school bully named John Deagle who made my life miserable. And um, <laughs> Please tell me he tried to book, sue you. No, he <sighs> couldn't sue me because it was 100% correct, but that book wound up being my uh, uh, New York Times bestseller, my biggest seller by far, blah, 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 on and on. And I always think like there's a little bit, a bit of karma there. And the funny thing is he reached out to me years later and um, I got no beef with John Deagle. It was just something in 1986, you know, and sure. But there's your little revenge, uh, book revenge years later. Well, he also he also runs a wrestling camp in Mayapec, too. Yeah. Where yeah, he like, you know, trains a lot of the kids who wrestle for the school. You know, he's got his barn and he's got a whole wrestling gym in there and he trains a lot and a lot in back circling back around. He's got some of the guys like um, from the UFC who are specialists in wrestling. He gets them to come in and work with the kids and run clinics. Oh, that's cool. So, you know, every now and then I hear this and I'm like, I, you know, couldn't somebody tell me I'd love to meet that guy? <laughs> yeah. But, well, I'm just saying like the thing is, though, like I'm just saying like it would be foolish for me to assign 1990 John Deagle or whatever, 1986 John Deagle to 2021 sure. John Deagle. It just wouldn't be fair. People change. Right. And I'm sure same thing with like, you know, people like my brother and even myself. It's like, you know, people looked in like that guy's an asshole. It's like, well, 1986 Ed Fatakis was an asshole. You know, 2002 Ed Fatakis was kind of an asshole, but. I worked with 1986 Ed Fatakis at the Sycamore uh, Day Camp. Oh, so. didn't we all? Yeah. I, d- I did as a CIT. Nice. So it's a good gig. Yeah. Okay. Well, we thank you for your time, sir. And we can't wait to see the show. Thank you. And uh, you take care, take care of the wife, the kids, and I hope you had a good Hanukkah. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. Merry Christmas to you. Oh, thank you very much, sir. (laughs) All right, cool. Bye. I'll talk to you. All right, bye. I just wanted him to talk because I know he loves to talk.